When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen. This show, the recap of Stage 1 of the Tour de France from Brest to Lando now, is brought to you by our show partner, Lacole, who produced performance cycling apparel, predictably chaotic stage today in Stage 1 of Tour de France. It always is a bit of a bittersweet start to the race, to be honest. But before we get right into the action, some housekeeping, because Benji and I are terrible self-promoters. Just a few things. If you do like the podcast and you watch on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the channel and like the video. It does help us out a lot. Or if you listen on podcast players, rate and leave a review. Uh, that makes a big difference as well. Alternatively, you can donate to us on Ko-Fi, buy us a cup of coffee, but really it goes to improvements for the quality of the podcast. But onto the race recap, 200K Rolly Stage, Britannia Classic, not even light, finishing on the Cote de Fossolou, the Wolf Pit, 1.2 k's, 8.1% to start that final climb, and then it levels off at the end. It's 3 k's, 5.3%, and it's rolling climbs pretty much all day. And uh, the fight for the break was a bit weird, Benji, wasn't it? The the gap, they didn't really go automatically. There's 10 k's of kind of neutral. Yeah, certainly. We had an imminent attack at the start by Victor Campanarts going for the initial k one point because that's so close to the start of the race. Like... A few kilometers and instantly K1 point. And there's one point to grab. Campanards took it, but eventually he got caught again once the peloton started attacking again. And I think it took a good 20 to 30 kilometers before we had a proper group actually occurring. Christian Rodriguez, we had Edith Schelling, Connor Swift, Danny Van Poppel, Frank Bonamour, and Anthony Perez, six man group. Uh, first of all, there was like a three man group, and then the rest kind of joined. Eventually, from this breakaway, Edis Helling was the man to watch because he ended up taking the majority of the K1 points and the polka dot jersey on day one by taking, well, most of the polka dot jersey points, obviously. And um, he did that in a beautiful fashion. He waved at the camera a few times. He was celebrating, crossing the lines. Just a bit of a, an awesome ride by the lad. And I hope to see more of him during this Tour de France. But unfortunately, that was not the focus of today's stage because leaning a bit further, First of all, intermediate sprint. And Edis Helling was riding alone after attacking at a K1 point. The others caught. Peloton caught them, and they were starting to set up for an intermediate sprint. Now, you can gain a lot of points at these super sprints, they call it. I think that a few years ago, it was still called the super sprints, but it's not that special anymore since it's been like that for years. So now they call it a normal sprint. 20 points for the first one, and then I think 17 or something, 17, 15, 13, something like that. And, um, well, we saw the Koenig moving towards the front with Cavendish in, like, fifth position, and I was okay. Cavendish is actually going to go for the intermediate sprint. <laughs> Didn't see this coming at all. We saw Sagan moving up with Oss. And the second that all the other teams were moving to the front, Cavendish was kind of left alone and didn't really look like he was uh, in optimal form to get that sprint going. I don't know. Were you surprised to see Cavendish going for that sprint? And, for example, Ewan as well? Uh, not Ewan particularly because his first day and he, he wasn't going to be contesting the finish anyway. 
Cavendish a little bit. I mean, I thought, oh, maybe is he actually going to go for green? But maybe it's just testing the legs on the first day. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, a little bit, a little bit strange, uh, particularly because Ewan never has really contested intermediate sprints regularly at the tour. He just goes for stages, but it's so sprint heavy. The green jersey is a realistic option for him if he does contest them. But then the race kind of tootled along, nothing too much happening. And then bang, just like that, I'm not sure, with like 50Ks to go or maybe a bit less, massive crash in the peloton from the front front of the race. And it's always poor Tony Martin goes down hard. And it was because a spectator was holding out a, a sign well into the road, almost two riders depth into the road facing the camera. So with her back turned to the riders, couldn't see them coming as basically hit Tony Martin with this cardboard sign and he's gone down hard, brought down almost all of Jumbo Visma and then the rest of the, half the peloton as well. So Martin was incredibly banged up. He hit his head really hard. It's almost like someone rode over his head. Roglic was involved uh, immediately. Everyone's like, is he how banged up is he? But he, he came back. Who else was involved, Benji? You know, maybe in terms of particularly badly, Yasha Sutlin, I think, abandoned. Anyone yes, else? Uh, Yasha Suzlin was the early candidate that said to was said to be abandoned. Soler ended up riding just ahead of the broom wagon for the entirety of the race from that point onwards. So Mark Soler was not looking too good either. And just a lot of people from that crash that were having to come back and it took a long time. Mikkel Bjerg was at the back of the peloton a long while. A lot of bike changes caused him for like 20 bloody times at this point. I think uh, I saw him switch bikes every second after that crash. Kreiswijk had to change bike as well because... I think um, like the back fork of his frame, there was like one of the sides was completely gone. I don't know how he finished with that bike because he he changed his bike and eventually in a later crash, spoilers, that we'll go into later, his bike broke again. So a lot of bad luck for Kreisweg once again as well. But yeah, this early crash got Alaphilippe behind and we saw a moment at the front of the race where 20 riders were still there and the Koenig was pacing there. And I was super confused because Alaphilippe's down. Why is the Koenig pacing? And it took a good 10 seconds for them to realize Alaphilippe was not there and probably to realize that 90% of the peloton wasn't there. So they self-neutralized and Merku decided it's done. Unfortunately, not in Tipo's Martin fashion. We'll speed through the recap, but we'll hold that thought to discuss this crash and the, the consequences that should come from it at the end of the pod as a separate topic. Moving on, before we get to the run into the final sprint, speaking of people that need or that have help, this podcast is supported by our show partner, Lacole. Lacole produce performance cycling apparel that's made at the base of Monte Grappa in Italy. If you're interested in picking up some Lacole kit during the tour, you can use our code LRTDF20, all caps, LRTDF20, which will get you 20% off all Lacole items. They've just launched their new lightweight collection yesterday, which will help you stay cool in summer on long rides. It's made of breathable fabrics and lightweight materials. So check out our show partner, Lacole. But yeah, the crash is done. De Koenig start pacing once Alaphilippe is in that group. Wout behind. Sagan is behind. Colbrelli's behind. Roglic has made his way back. Bagatch is okay. None of the Ineos guys seem caught up in it. And I thought this was a pretty shit move from De Koenig mainly because it was such a large crash. The race, I know I've been you saying, but hey, you always say the race, there's no unwritten rules. Well, 
they stopped pacing the minute Wapana got back into the group with like 30 Ks to go. So it was pretty transparent that the Koenig were mm. only pacing because he was behind. Like Schelling was at 10 seconds. There was no chance Yeah, but that he I was think beforehand win. they waited like a good 10 kilometers before starting to pace again. I generally feel like at that point, at some point you're going to have to start racing again, you know? But what do you mean racing again? They weren't racing and then they stopped. But they stopped when Wapanak came back. So they, there was no grand plan to pace the last 30Ks flat out. Well, I feel like the second that the crash happened, they were on the right side of the road, well, for us as the viewer, and the cleric was already setting up a tempo there to keep Alaphilippe at the front and so forth in the same way that Tony Martin was do doing on the other side of the road. And they kept up that pace until a good... It wasn't even a few minutes later before Merku decided, like, nope, this is done. And I think that it then took a bit before they restarted again. I know, but the reason it, it had to take so long for people to come back, and this is probably the commissaire should have neutralized the race. Yep. There was such a large crash, and it's probably not the Koenig's fault, more the commissaire, such a large crash, the cars couldn't make their way through to service the riders with new bikes. So the riders actually being able to get a new bike, it took so, so long, and that's why you know Sagan was dripped off the back for ages and made his way back eventually, but at what cost? Yep. It must have cost his legs, and it must have cost Wapanart's legs. But we have certainly. Everyone back, no GC contenders appear to be injured. Roglic is back, Pagach is there, all looking okay again. And then the frantic run into the finish starts with yeah. Ineos, Movistar, and the Koenig pacing. Did you think Alperson were looking good, Benji? Were you, was there any point where you were like, MVP is going to be in good position today? Well, it was always the, the biggest danger for him. Vanderpool needed to be in a good position before starting the final Fossil Loop climb. And they were looking fine at the side of the road. Their team was there. He had his blue bike. The other team, uh, the other riders of his team had a different kind of bike, so I could recognize him. He was in third wheel or something. And then suddenly, boom. I don't know which was the first rider to crash, but it just went so quickly. And one second later, half the peloton was down again. And a few of them rolled into the ditch. There was this mother standing by the side of the road with her kid, and she's mom of the year right now genuinely she took her kid in the air while hoarding holding her phone in like one or two seconds otherwise the kid would have been hit by the bike of an arkea rider so props to that uh mother right there but unfortunately some other people were uh laying there for quite a long time and i think uh a lot of people were hurt from this crash more than the first one one of the ones that was sitting there chris Froome was that was sitting there didn't look too fine i think who were the other uh people you saw there Koos was caught up, judging from where he finished. Mike Woods was caught up in the crash. I think a lot of the Israel Startup Nation team and Pagacha just missed it, like just by one or two riders. And this is where having team strength helps. UAE, uh, sorry, not UAE, Ineos, Yumbo Visma had moved to the front with 9.5Ks to go and were dominating the front, even with Tony Martin way behind. Hersink and Wapanart were shepherding and Wingergott shepherding Roglic, Ineos were all at the front and UAE were lucky today that they missed that crash sort of a third of the way down the pack but yeah Froome and Woods were the main ones and I think Port was caught behind as well but not actually he didn't have a mechanical or injured but Port was just caught I'm not sure what exactly happened with him to be honest uh, but yeah 5k's to go there's no 3k rule I mean there's no question of you can't wait up and allow people to come back at this yeah. point it's full gas into the base of the finish. I'm not. We obviously we probably didn't mention Schelling got caught like an hour ago. Um, <laughs> the the Koenig quick step of pacing, 
pretty much full gas. It's like they've got it strung out single file. And remember, there's this, there's a two roundabouts, right 90-degree right-hand turn, then a 90-degree left-hand turn. And Alperson had been caught up in that crash too. And where did you see MVDP going into the base of the climb, Benji, through that sort of chicane section? He was like 30th wheel, right? Yeah, it was 30th wheel. No teammates around him to get him to the front or anything. He was there alone and it didn't look good. And then the question arises, was it because of the crash or was he in a bad position? Like looking back at the second crash, he has to avoid it magically. The way his bike handling had to go around the rider to get to the front, but it wasn't the crash that caused his position there. It was his positioning after the crash that made it happen. And I'm afraid that this is Vanderpool's fault and not the crash. Yeah, I'm not sure which it is, but he wasn't able to move up. Quickstep had it strung out. Eventually, they get onto the banks to climb, and Quickstep have got they, they got some engines. Benji, Asgren, Ballerini, Cataneo, Dries Davenens. Perfect, because the base of this climb is where it's steepest, and if you want Alaphilippe to beat someone like MVP Colbarelli, Wafanat, he has to go on the steepest section early. So they absolutely drill it. Dries Davenens. Is like drops the hammer on the comes off on the left hand side. It almost looks like an attack, but Alphalete gets onto his wheel. MVDP has done what he did in in Milano San Remo. He does this huge surge to get to the front, and then he's pretty much stops. Wout Van Aert's on Alphalete's wheel, and Alphalete did what he did at Torreno Adriatico Stage Two. Yeah. He attacks immediate separation to Wout Van Aert. And it was who was the first man to jump across, Benji? Was it Pierre Latour on that new total it was energy? Pierre kit? Latour, yes, indeed. Like, <laughs> first of all, that shirt, I don't like it personally. It's way too colorful for my taste, but <laughs> he launched there and you can recognize Latour because he looks like he's suffering every step of the way, every pedal stroke. Latour seems to be struggling. And he actually made a gap on the others, and it was Fanat that tried to respond as well from that group. and Fanat couldn't close it down because Fanat was like, okay, Latour is now gone. What do I do? Because if I go now, then I'm basically ruining my own chances here. But if I don't go, then Roglic doesn't have any chances. And Alphalip's taking time on Roglic. So yeah, this was all not looking too amazing at that point. But there was also a Pogacar in that group. All those people were still there. And I think the reaction afterwards when Fanat was like, okay, I can't close this alone, was Roglic from like third, full wheel, coming out and, and making a move on the left side of the road, trying to close down Latour, but his kick just wasn't enough to close down Latour because Latour had a significant gap already. Bogarcha responds a bit late, but then eventually just closes down Roglic, and that's where something intriguing happens. That's where Bogachar takes over from Roglic, and Roglic does not take over anymore. He's like, no, nah, <laughs> not like 2020. <laughs> I know, I know. I was watching it closely, and it's not just that Roglic wouldn't relay with Pagacha or pull him at all. He literally was like, no, not doing any work with you. I've got Wout van Aert behind, and he didn't. And it's almost like, well, if he wanted to go for the stage first and foremost, there's nothing wrong with relaying with Pagacha. Pagacha was doing his fair share of work. It wasn't like last year where he was having to do all the pulling. But he's like, no. Nope, not doing it. And that sort of <laughs> was the deathbed for anyone else winning yeah. this stage, except for Julian Alaphilippe, who, huge gap. As he, as they crested sort of with a, a 1,200 meters to go, it flattens off. You, you need more than four or five seconds. Well, he had more than four or five seconds. He had a huge gap already because there was a lot of that behind. Latour couldn't close it. 
Roglic had hesitated to initially bridge to Alaphilippe and then he wasn't working with Pogacar. Then they pretty much went back to Wow Van Aert pacing behind with, and he's looking behind for someone to pull. It's Quintana. <laughs> Quintana <laughs> was second wheel on Wow Van Aert. I was like, well, I was like, this stage is a wrap. Alaphilippe's going to win this. And you, it's a long straight. Alaphilippe looks behind, knows he's won, starts sort of playing up for the cameras and he rolls over the line. He even gives a couple of seconds back just for the post up and wins this stage, just like De Koenig would have drawn it up, slapping yeah. it at the base and making sure MVDP was out of position or taking advantage of that. And, um, yeah, Alphalete winning the stage eight seconds ahead of, you wait for it, Matthew's second, winning the punch sprint for second, and Roglic <laughs> third, nearly coming second, taking four bonus seconds, which I think is a huge result. I'll do the top ten for completeness. Haig fourth, he's in great form. Kelderman fifth, Pagacha sixth. Godu 7th, Igita 8th, Moleman 9th, Grant Thomas 10th. Anything else from that finale, Benji? Did I miss? Was there an MVP bridge attempt at one point as yep. well? There was at a certain point. I think the moment that Roglic and uh, Pogacar had a certain gap on the group behind with Van der Poel, he decided to go all out. And the way he bridged from that elite group to Pogacar and Roglic was insane. But unfortunately, it stopped there because you can't just keep that up. It's not going to work like that. And I also want to note that at the finish line, indeed, Roglic took a third spot, four seconds there. But most importantly, Thomas was the only leader of Ineos in that group. Carapaz loses 13 seconds here, so not too much. But Ward was oh, like five, two five minutes and a half behind. Roglic. Well, correct. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, but he's losing time. So that's, uh, I think, yeah. uh, an extra like badge on to Thomas, who will also take more time in the time trial. So. For sure. That's hitting on the potential leadership of Carapaz, even though we're like one day in, so everything could change. But any other people who lost time? A lot of them, right? Yeah. As expected, there was, unfortunately, we knew this was going to happen without a prologue. There was GC riders who lost their chances today. Here's the GC standings from sort of anyone that possibly could have contested GC. Alaphilippe is uh, first on GC, 14 seconds ahead of Roglic. And then 18 seconds ahead of a group of like Hay, Keldman, Pagacha, Guru, Molima, Thomas, Chavez, Bilbao, Uran, Quintana, Nibali. <laughs> Full uh, the goats. That's actually a really <laughs> solid, jokes aside, solid yeah. level to finish in that group. You've got to be top class to finish in that group. Carapaz on 23, Alphilippe, because uh, the bonus seconds. Hamilton on 48. He was supposed to be bike exchange leader. Chavez going for stages. We'll see what happens on Britannia tomorrow. Ben O'Connor loses two minutes. I hope he just goes for KOM jersey and and stages O'Connor. But anyway, Lopez, more importantly, yeah. about fifth favorite for this tour, sixth favorite, two minutes. Buchmann, Kreuzweig, Guillaume Martin. But what polls, 226 and Richie Port, 226. He must have been caught up in that crash. Very unlucky for Port. I mean, Paranese, stage one, that crash. And he's... Not out of GC contention completely. It just means it's all on Thomas right now. It's there. Thomas is clear one leader for Ineos and Port. It's going to be maybe an attacker yeah. later and just try and go, do a good TT. And sorry, also Froome gone. Woods oh, lost. Verde, 5.43. Yeah, wow. It must have been involved in the crash. Woods, nine minutes. So Woods, surely he's going for stages now. That's what he wanted to do yeah. anyway. I think ISN wanted him to... Uh, go for GC, but he's going to be bittersweet going for stages now. What's your big takeaway, Benji? I, my big takeaway from today is Jumbo Visma 
should be happy with that outcome. Very happy. After the crash. Is that well, right? Except for the crash of Tony Martin, they should be very happy about this stage. Pogacar has lost time on them. Ineos in its total has lost time and part of their leadership. Yep. And McNulty lost seven minutes plus on this stage, so will not be playing a role as co-leader for UAE here as well. Yeah, so that's another factor. She's injured. Yeah. Well, it's not great to like celebrate injuries, but it's going to help them a lot. Let's be real. This is yep. a Jumbo victory. And Roglic, despite him hitting the floor, he looks the best out of the stage. Fanat does not look to be on the level that I hoped him to be on. I hope it still changes. He's got a lot of time to grow. He's trying to peak for the Olympics. So perhaps towards the third week, he might be very strong, which is the most important week still, let's be real. And um, I think I just expected a tiny bit more. I think that either it's Alaphilippe that was so ungodly strong today that I did not expect to have such a kick and keep it up like that against an elite group. Or Van Aert didn't really have that kick that I hoped he would. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I just think Alaphilippe hit him at the perfect time and when Alaphilippe yep. attacks on an 8% ramp or, or steeper, Wafanat cannot keep his wheel. And we saw that at Torino Adriatico. We saw that at Imola last year. And we saw it again today that Alaphilippe is one of the best punch, is the best puncher in the world. Yep. I mean, one flesh again, Liège top class. So yeah, I would have liked to see Mike Woods on this finish. I think Mike Woods would have had a really good chance of keeping Alaphilippe's wheel, but it's about being there in the first place and he got caught behind that crash. Uh, I think Haig, Haig looks in excellent form. Coming yes. fourth on that stage is an outstanding result. I think Pagacha, yeah, I think I think we're already seeing that UAE's team, I don't know, I'm reading too much into it, but I, I just, I'm worried about UAE's team and, and, and how this tour could play out for Pagacha, but Tomorrow's mm. stage, Benji, uh, before yeah. we talk about the crash in more detail, even steeper, more of a puncher's delight. Finishing on Murder Britannia, they do two ascents in this 184k stage. The first ascent has bonus seconds, three available, two ever's first, and two and one on the top of Murder Britannia. Two Ks at 7%, then descent, do a loop, back up at two Ks, 7%. This should suit Alaphilippe even more with a sort of 11%, 500-meter section uh, about 600 metres in. So, yeah, I mean, Alaphilippe in yellow, Benji, 14 seconds ahead of Roglic. Can you see him losing yellow in any way apart from a crash before the fi- before the TT on stage five? I don't think so. I think that um, it's difficult to look at it like that as well. But beforehand, I did ex- not expect Alaphilippe to have the kick that he had today. Perhaps it's the combination of the fact that it was a smaller group going on to that climb stuff like that that made it even crazier but i don't expect it to be much different tomorrow i think that it's not as technical before the mood britannia so that's one positive for the peloton but they're gonna ride it like crazy to try and get to the bottom of that climb in first or safe position so that's gonna be treacherous either way there could be crashes let's hope not this time around because that's about the worst thing about today's stage and um, I think that the only people that could beat him is like, if people can follow him on Mude Britannia and be in that group still, then something might happen. But Mude Britannia feels like it's more difficult than what we had today. I mean, yeah, I would have said Pierre Latour, someone completely out of GC contention, but he lost 
another 13 seconds on the road and 23 seconds behind him. I just don't see it. So unless Roglic goes absolutely mental tomorrow, I think Alaphilippe will be keeping that yellow until the TT. That was the quick step plan all along. Uh, But talking about the the crash today, Benji, you mentioned. So it it was a spectator holding that sign out. I... Didn't miss the fans during lockdown. I actually enjoyed watching the racing without fans. I find fans actually quite stressful on the climbs when they're running beside the riders. I hate it. I think it, it really confuses me. What confuses me or bemuses me, Benji, is like I like cycling a lot. It's my job. If I went to watch a stage, you know, to go to watch a stage, you'd think is a big commitment. You drive out, you sit there for hours, you wait, etc. You Presumably you like cycling. And yet these people are so fucking brain dead and we see them every year in almost every stage in almost every country. TDU is pretty good, I must say, on Willunga Hill. Um, I just don't know how it keeps happening. Like, who are these people that just turn up and be like, you know what, I'm going to hold a placard into the middle of the road while the peloton's coming. And a car comes ahead of them that warns people. So, yeah, what what do you think? Is there anything you can do with open roads differently, um, other than you know when? Or are these things always going to happen because people are stupid? I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult because it's a tradition of cycling that it's a sport that you can do, go to by the side of the road and be close to the people that are passing. You can go watch it pass live. I personally prefer watching it on TV because I can see much more than a blimp of riders just passing by, but. I do get the feeling that it's sometimes a real problem. And the fact that you sometimes have an entire army of gendarmerie people on an entire climb in, in the Vuelta and, and so forth that are setting the side of the road to make sure that not a single spectator can get close to the riders, that's got to cost so much money. And I think that the economy of trying to fix it is also difficult. Like, there's multiple levels to this. You've got the fact that it's tradition and people want to be by the side of the road and it's giving a great atmosphere to the sport and so forth. There's the level of how the hell are you going to close a road down? I don't I don't know. Like, I don't know what admin you need for that, who you got to uh, consider in and who you got to contact to do that. Hey, police, can you, like, close down the entire uh, freeway for about 80 kilometers because the peloton's going to pass? I don't know how they're going to do that. So... Then you're talking about, are we going to do it at the most important moments? Are you going to do it on a, a the Mur van Gerardsbergen, for example, stuff like that, the iconic moments in a stage. But then people are going to move to other places and they're going to have to put people there. So uh, it's very difficult to fix it. I think it's part of the sport. And I think just campaigns to share to people that they should they should watch out, they should be respectful by the side of the road they shouldn't go to a bike race to say hi to their granddad on a bloody television they should be watching cycling like just like the general sensibilization campaigns that they often do i think that will help a lot i think that's what the tour de france directly did after seeing that there was a tweet on their to on their twitter today where they said yeah cycling it's amazing spectators and so forth but respect to riders don't run by the side of them on climbs Make sure that they can do whatever they need to do and don't push them, don't touch them, stuff like that. And it happens way too often. And it is because some people just aren't 
very intelligent. Well, they're just attention-seeking. This yeah. person was attention-seeking. They're trying to get on TV. That's why they're facing the moto that way. And there needs to be some sort of fines. A pitch invader, you know, they can get five-figure fines. You know, yeah, but 50, that's 50, trespassing, 000. though. I know, like, I know. It's, it's tough. If I was ASO, I'd try and wield some sort of stick. I would try and get some sort of law passed in France to say that, you know, if you bring down a rider, like, listen, Roglic is being paid over 2 million euro. Yumbo Visma, the companies, are paying Yumbo Visma, the team, millions and millions and millions of euro so Roglic can win the Tour de France. Roglic has just spent the last two and a half months not racing, not getting the sponsor's name out there because of he wants to win the Tour de France and you have this fucking idiot bringing him down on stage one and his whole team. Like, that's just... It it made me almost it ruined the stage for me just about because I was like, you know, it was good to see him doing so well on the final climb. Thank God it wasn't worse. But you know, poor Yasha Sutherland, chance of a lifetime for yep. him. And I'm sure there'll be more abandons. I'm worried about Tony Martin too. And it's something there needs to be some sort of bigger stick or more awareness campaigns about it. And the people on the side of the road as well to say, don't wave that thing. You know, Matteo Jorgensen, Benji, Tour de la Provence stage two. I was talking about Ballerini stage win there. Yep. He got taken down by a jacket or an umbrella. It happens all the time, people reaching out, and the riders use all the right. But, yeah, it's it's a shame. Nah, but onwards to stage two. We tomorrow. need more Lopez's. Hit yeah, them. exactly. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rogla. I reckon Rogla's got a mean right hook. Um, he'd be a good, good flyweight boxer. Any last thoughts on this stage one, Benji? I think it's a chaotic start, just like last year. Last year, we were also shocked after day one because of yeah. all the crashes, because of the, the neutralization and so forth. This time around, it was a self-neutralization, whether it should have been one and not a commissaire-driven one. I believe it's a commissaire-driven one that it should have been there. I think that's the last topic I want to address. I think that the neutralization should have happened from the uh, from the commissaires out and not having to have the Koenig say, ah, oh, this is done. because. We're talking about a road here that is probably dangerous to get to with ambulances and so forth. So many riders down, you don't know what the consequences are. And in the Giro, they did that on that bridge. I think that here it works out perfectly. If it happens like with 5k to go, I think it's more difficult. You can't neutralize with 5k to go or the race is over. And yeah, I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, I think I don't know how, I don't know what the exact situation on the road was, but it seemed like with Edith Schelling up the road, you know, a minute ahead, not a threat at all. He was just there to mop up some KOM points, frankly. It wasn't it wouldn't have been the worst place to to neutralize. Uh, but yeah, it is it is what it is. I mean, I don't exactly know the rules for commerce and neutralizations, and maybe the road was wide enough. But yeah, a shame that it started like that. But hopefully tomorrow on the murder Britannia, it's better. Thanks for listening and watching. If you want to hear more from us personally on the Tour de France, you can follow up the podcast page on Twitter at Lantern Rouge CP. You can find me on the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. I'll be making highlights every single day of every stage. And Benji is doing a pro cycling manager playthrough in the morning. I think Benji, uh, you have yes. a stage played through on the Benji Narsen YouTube channel. So all the links are down below for those. Hope you enjoyed the pod. And uh, thanks to Lecol for supporting it. And we'll see you with stage two tomorrow. Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.